want to let you know about before we uh, jump into our time in God's Word. Um, you know, we have these things we call connection cards on the bottom of our bulletin. They are perforated for your benefit. Um, you can give us any new information that we might not have. If you've moved, if you've changed your phone number, you changed your email address. Um, if you've never filled one of these out, we would ask that you would do that uh, and just drop it in the offering box back there. We would appreciate that. Um, and then the other thing that we want you to do is if you have prayer requests. I mean, I know this is a time of the year where we're uh, at least most people are expected to be happy and joyful and, hey, it's Christmas, right? But sometimes there's difficult things that you are working through in your life, and not just at Christmas time, but if you have specific prayer requests that you would like to share with us uh, or any thoughts or comments, please write them down on the connection card, drop that in the box, give it to me or one of the deacons. Um, we do pray for the things that come in on here. If I get something on a connection card, I share it with the deacons, uh, unless you tell me not to, but I do share it with the deacons so we can be praying for you um, and bringing you before the throne, so that's a good thing. And then the last, the other thing I want to share with you is that um, um, we do have ornaments. Somebody was uh, offering to bribe somebody else this morning to find out what was under the cloth back there. Um, <clears throat> and then I walked out. But anyway, um, there's, there's um, some ornaments that Barbara and I made for you guys. Uh, please make sure that you get one. We'll try to be back there to hand them out. Uh, but if you need to sneak out right away, um, uh, make sure you grab one before you leave. All right. Um, so we're going to go ahead and continue our our Christmas-themed series this year. Um, we're doing it uh, kind of a, with, with Christmas carols, all right? Uh, last week, we took a break from our Christmas-themed uh, sermon preaching, and, and, and we went on into our Calvary family Christmas. Um, were you blessed last week? I was. Um, I was greatly encouraged by the several families in our church that ministered to us in so many different ways. I want to give a great big thank you to all who participated. Um, and you know what? As much of a blessing as it was to have these folks minister to us, the reminder that God is still in control, and that God's plan is always better was made very clear last week. Um, we had a plan, you might remember it last week, we had a plan, we had it all, all figured out, we knew who was going to go where and what was going to happen, and uh, you may remember me throwing that over my shoulder and just saying, okay, it's not going to happen, uh, because, you know, people got sick and, and all kinds of things happened, but you know what, exactly what God wanted to have happen on that day happened on that day. Some of those folks that didn't get to minister to us last week are ministering to us today and this evening. Um, but you know, as I was thinking about that, a very well-known verse popped into my mind, into my head. When we think sometimes that the plans that we have are all, they're perfect, they're all sorted out, they're ready to go, we just got to implement them. Well, sometimes God has a different plan, and that verse that popped into my mind is from the Old Testament uh, prophet who was known as the weeping prophet. It's in the book that bears his name. It goes like this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That word thoughts also can be translated plans. I know the plans I have for you. Now let me be careful to remind you that the context of this verse is not about Christmas programs, okay? The context of this verse is where Jeremiah is encouraging the Israelites to trust the Lord their God and to not give up hope. 
He wanted them to, be, to remember that the future is bound up in their Messiah and our Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But I couldn't help but think of the fact that God's plan for us is so much better than our plans that we have for ourselves. Last week, we had to make some on-the-spot kind of decisions, but none of that caught God by surprise. And everybody was ready to do what they could do. Uh, And due to those circumstances that are sometimes beyond our control, we have the opportunity to trust God more fully and and allow him to do exactly what he wants us to do. Isn't it a wonderful thing uh, that we can serve the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, and be reminded of the fact that he is sovereign and he has amazing plans for his children. Even when they're not our plans, his plans are always better. So as I said, two weeks ago we started our 2023 Christmas service series thinking about uh, a not so well-known Christmas carol. Um, I wonder as I wander out under the sky. You know, uh, we talked about having a compass and getting lost in the woods and those kinds of things. Our text was John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18. And the truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the fact that Jesus was not only full of grace and truth, but that he was the very vessel through which grace and truth actually came to mankind from the hand of the Father. Jesus took the wandering out of the wonder and gave us grace and truth. We don't have to wonder anymore. We don't even have to wander anymore because we know the light of the world and we know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's all because of who our great God is, and we're celebrating that this Christmas season. Season This morning, we're going to look at perhaps a better-known carol than I wonder as I wander. As we get started thinking about this particular carol, let me tell you a little bit about the background of this carol. There's not a lot known about the actual circumstances surrounding the writing of the carol, but there is quite a bit known about the man who wrote it. Um, David Jeremiah talks about this man this way. He says, some people knew him as an accomplished organist who made New York's St. Michael's Church vibrate with intensity every Sunday morning. Others knew him as a compassionate worker with disabled children and the founder of a local school for underachievers in East Orange, New Jersey. Today we know him as the composer who gave us one of our greatest Christmas carols, The Birthday of a King. Now, those of us who have been part of Calvary Baptist Church for a while, we know that carol because somebody requested it all year long. The Birthday of a of a king. In the little tiny in the little village of Bethlehem there lay a child one day and the sky was bright with a holy light or the place where Jesus lay. Alleluia, oh how the angels sang, alleluia, how it rang. And the sky was bright with a holy light, twas the birthday of a king. "'Twas a humble birthplace, but oh, how much God gave to us that day. From the manger bed, what a path has led, what a perfect, holy way. Alleluia, how the angels sang, 
Alleluia, how it rang. And the sky was bright with a holy light, t'was the birthday of a king. Uh, the first line in that chorus or refrain says, Alleluia, how the angels sang. You know, there's not a lot of things that make the angels sing. They sing about the glory of God, right? What's the other thing that the Bible tells us the angels sing about? Salvation of a sinner. You know why they were singing the night that Jesus was placed in that manger bed? Because they knew that that was the reason, the way that salvation would come to mankind. There's only one way for salvation, and that way was the birth of a Savior in a manger, the birthday of a king. Not a king like we might think. Oh, look at the king. He's born. Uh, he would be born in the greatest place and, and all the pomp and the ceremony and all the, the pageantry and all the majesty that accompanies the birth of royalty. Well, this king was born in a manger. This king was born in a stable and the main audience there were animals. Except for the shepherds that came that night. But that was because that was God's plan for the entrance of his son into this world. It's quite likely that the writer of this Christmas carol, William Needlinger, was thinking about or had read the passage in Matthew where Joseph, Mary's soon-to-be husband, is trying to figure out what his response should be after finding out that his betrothed, Mary, was with child. I mean... I don't know that we can kind of wrap our head around what was going through Joseph's mind at that time. He, he loved Mary. He thought that they were going to start their lives out together and nothing was going to interrupt that. They were going to be husband and wife and they were just going to uh, be in love with one another. And you know how it is when you're in love, right? Um, <clears throat> you just, nothing gets in your way. Everything is kind of just, you take it all in stride and you do whatever you do and you're always happy about it. Well, Joseph found out that Mary was going to have a baby. And even though it was thousands of years ago, Joseph knew that he wasn't the father of that baby. And he had to figure out, what am I going to do? The, the woman I love is with child, and it's not my child. The description of Joseph and what he pondered in his heart demonstrates to us that he indeed loved Mary. He, he decided he was going to put her away privately, not going to make a big deal. You know, he could have had her stoned. Right? That could have been his response. It could have been a public scandal and he could have said, okay, I'm done but God intervened. And you know what? Our God has a habit of doing that. He meets us in our greatest hour of need. He meets us in our smallest hour of need. God is a God who intervenes. Verses 18 and 19 talk about this struggle of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was working through. And then verses 20 through 23, Joseph is given the solution by none other than the angel of the Lord. It took that big of, a, uh, of an intervention on his behalf to save the situation. 
I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, and then I'm going to ask you to stand together and we'll read verses 20 through 23. But let me, I'm going to add some things to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. The birthday of a king, we could say, the birthday of that king was just like this. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. This, the fact that she was found to be with child, everyone would soon know. And everyone would begin to form their various opinions about Mary and probably Joseph too. Did you hear about, you know, can you believe it? I thought she was all of those things. She's found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Many would not know the fact that Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit. Why, would you, why in the world would you ever think that that would even be a possibility? I mean, uh, it's never happened before. Why would it happen now? Then Joseph, her husband, and that tells us the strength of a betrothal. It wasn't just a, hey, will you marry me, put this ring on your finger, and then at some point down the road we're going to get married. They were considered to be married. That's how powerful a betrothal was in those days. Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, or even you could say in there a scandal, was minded to put her away secretly. It was obvious that he had a great love for Mary and wanted to do what was right and what was best for her. So he pondered these things. He thought about these things. He dwelt on these things for a period of time. So now that we have some background on the story, let's stand together and read the rest of the story, if you will. Reading together, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. What a story. It's a story that we couldn't come up with in our wildest imaginations. And yet you had it planned in eternity past. You knew that mankind would need a savior. You, need, you knew that mankind would need a way to be reconciled to you because they had been separated from you due to sin. Father, in your plan, you didn't struggle. You didn't have a difficult time trying to figure out how to reconcile man. To yourself, you had a plan. And eternity past, you knew that you would enact this plan. And this plan included the birthday of a king. This plan included you sending your son to a world that was so devastatingly impacted by sin. 
Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, at just the right moment in time, in the nick of time you sent your son to be born of a virgin, that he might redeem lost mankind. Father, as we look at this birthday of a king this morning, may our hearts be blessed, may we be challenged, may we be encouraged, may we be eager to share about this great birth with those we come across today and tomorrow and even on into the the new year about the birth of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have not yet opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, please do so. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. And as we know, we're very familiar with this Christmas account, this story. And we have to be careful when we call it a story because oftentimes when we call things a story, we think of Walt Disney or we think of some make-believe thing. Can I tell you this? And I know you know this. The story of Jesus is not made up. The story of Jesus is 100% true, happened just the way God planned it in eternity past. And it's continuing to unfold in the lives of people all around the world today. And so we want to, first of all, catch a glimpse of the backstory. Oh, somebody asked me, Pastor, are you preaching this morning? I looked at the back and they said, there's nothing on the back. Well, that was kind of by design. Um, I, want you to, I want you to take your own notes this morning and, and there's only three points. There's not a lot of, there's no sub points. There's no ABCs, no one, two, threes. It's, it's just three main points. The first one is the backstory of the king's birth. All right? We find that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Technically, though, the backstory goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You know the account. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. And the serpent comes in um, in all his beauty and all of his craftiness and deceitfulness. And, and he comes to Eve and he says, Hath God said? Maybe he said, Hath God said? What was he doing? He's casting doubt on who God is and what God says. Can I tell you this? Throughout this Christmas season and throughout all seasons, may we never doubt our God. May we never doubt that he has what is best in store for us. It might not look like it's best from the outset. We might not agree with what he's doing in our lives, but he's always got what is best in mind for us, and if we submit to his will and to his plan, he will bring it to pass. We don't ever have to doubt. It's a tool that Satan uses all the time. He uses it right there in the garden. Hath God said that you shall not eat of every fruit in the garden, of every tree in the garden? Well, Eve says, you know, God said we could eat of every tree except for one, and we shouldn't even touch that one, lest we die. Right there at the very beginning, we'd see two things. One, Satan wants to get us to doubt. And two, man has a propensity to add to God's word. God never said, don't touch it. He said, don't eat of it. But Eve added to God's word. And sometimes, we add to God's word. And you know what that means? We expect more of God's people than God expects of God's people. Pastor, what are you talking about? That's why I'm so caught up on being literal with God's word. God says what he wants us to know in his word. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to make it fit our 
perspective. We just have to do what God says. If Adam and Eve simply would have not eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have been fine. And you know what? I have a feeling that all of us would have been fine after that. But they added to God's word. And they took some authority away from God because they added to God. You see, every time we add to God's word, we're taking authority away from God because God is the one who gave us his word. We don't have to add to it. We simply have to do what it says in the pages of Scripture. So part of this backstory teaches us that we need to trust God for who he is and what he says to do, and then we just need to do it. We don't have to doubt him. We simply need to obey him. Adam and Eve knew the consequences of their sin and the punishment that God was going to give to them. He said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You know what? That's exactly what happened. They died. Pastor, they lived on. They had children. That, no, they died spiritually. There was a separation. The moment that they ate of that fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, they died. They were separated from God. And you know what they did? The Bible says that they hid themselves from God. They made the separation worse. Because God came down, he wanted to commune with them. He knew what they did. He had a plan to deal with it. But they hid themselves from God. Ooh, huh? we, we can't talk to him. He we did something wrong. We did something bad. We didn't do what God told us to do. So they hid from God. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? Thinking that they could actually hide from their creator. Adam, where are you? He didn't ask that because he didn't know where they were. He asked them because he wanted them to realize what they were doing. They were continuing to separate themselves from God. God always wants us to be close to Him. Had they confessed, had they God, we, we did something wrong, we did something bad, we, didn't, we disobeyed you. Imagine how different the conversation might have went. Well, the, 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 the woman you gave me, she, she took of the fruit and, and gave it to me, and, and I ate. Like he wasn't there the whole time. See, the backstory is all about man. It's all about you and I. It's all about our need. When Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged all of us into separation from God. And on that day, a promise was made. The promise goes like this. God talking to Eve and, and, and Adam to some degree says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he, the seed of woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was a promise. That's part of the backstory of what we're looking at this morning. Part of the backstory of the birthday of a king. God chose Abraham, called him to be the father of the Jewish nation. He promised them a Messiah. The Messiah would be the one who would fulfill that promise made in Genesis chapter 3. The crushing of the serpent's head. Thereby granting deliverance to mankind from the bondage of sin. And from that moment in Genesis chapter 3, as the pages of scripture continue to be written throughout the, the course all the way up until Jesus and his apostles... 
Scripture was being written. There are promises that talk about the coming of this Messiah, the coming of this king, the birthday of a king. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4 says, says, says this. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. You, that's God, you, God, has said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. God was not talking about a physical descendant of David and whatever wife he had at the time. God was talking about his son taking on flesh who would sit on the throne of David and rule in power and might and majesty and complete sovereignty and do everything that was right. When he said, I will establish your offspring forever. That's one person. Jesus, the Messiah. A promise that was made. We have talked about this promise before this Christmas season, we'll talk about it again in the Christmas seasons to come. Promise made from the prophet Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You may have read it many times on your Christmas cards this year. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, listen to this. Just one more time this morning as we, as we think about this. Behold. Think, think about all that's involved in this statement. Behold, a virgin will conceive. Okay, we might get that. Hopefully that's the way it is for all young ladies. We know that our world doesn't accept that anymore. But a virgin will conceive. And now get this part. And bear a son. In other words, the virgin will conceive and the virgin will give birth to a son. That's never happened. Never has a woman been a virgin when she gave birth to a child. It can happen. Kids, ask your parents if you want to know more about that. All right? A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means with us is God. So there's another promise about the coming of the Messiah. Again, the the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53, and a couple Sunday nights ago we talked about this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. That was a promise about the Messiah who would take the sins of mankind and by the bruising and the wounds of that one Messiah, mankind would be healed. And by healed, we don't mean of physical ailments. We mean the spiritual ailment that separated them from God. These are just a few of the promises that point to the promised one or the Messiah of the Jewish people. The one who would defeat Satan. The one who would crush his head. He would deal a death blow to, the, to Satan and end his plans and his schemes. This one child, this Messiah, would offer reconciliation between God and man. That relationship that was broken way back in the garden with Adam and Eve and has impacted every person ever born since that point. 
that one child that would come and provide reconciliation. You know, I think it was the highest calling for a Jewish young lady to aspire to, to give birth to the Messiah, to be the one who would bear the one who would crush the head of Satan. I believe that Mary was not an exception to that desire. However, she didn't know And probably the thought didn't even cross her mind of all the details that would be involved in the one God chose to be the mother of the Messiah. And that really is the backstory of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Remember what we read in verse 18? Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Mary was just an ordinary young lady. Mary was a young lady who lived her life in obedience to God. Mary lived a life that many would have considered a boring life. She wasn't necessarily interested in all the other girly things of the day. She simply wanted to do what was right before God. She dedicated her life to the ways of Jehovah God. People today would say, that's boring. Come on, live a little, will ya? I've often thought, how difficult would it be for God to find a Mary today? One who was committed to holy living. One who was dedicated to wait for that right person before acting in a way that was inappropriate. That's Mary. Come on, Mary. Let's go do this. Not interested. Listen to what God says about Mary and her life. Now in the sixth month, you've heard these verses before, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice Here's his comment, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. That's God's commentary on Mary. Highly favored one. You are blessed among women. But when she saw him, can you imagine her response? The Bible says she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. God thought highly of Mary. Why? Because she was obedient. Because she lived her life the way God expects all of us to live our life. You see, the backstory is that God had a different plan. He chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, this highly favored, this blessed among women woman who was, all, who was of utmost integrity was to be the one girl that all Jewish girls wanted to be. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, let's move on to the blessing of the king's birth, verses 21 and 22. What, what is this blessing? Well, you remember that God told Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. 
This is the blessing that we're talking about. This is the blessing that the angel was talking about when he talked about Mary and Joseph. He will be a blessing to his people. Verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. My friends, that's the blessing. He will save his people from their sins. Now, you might say, well, he must be talking about the Jewish people. No. He will save his people. You know what that his people is? That transcends all um, racial groups. That transcends all economic groups. That transcends everything. God knows who his people are. And the Bible teaches us, or Jesus himself said, uh, you will, uh, he will be lifted up and draw all men to himself. Those who God has ordained that will be part of his family, those that God has ordained would be his people, the people of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, those who make up the church, that's who his people is. The fact that Mary was a virgin and was with child could only mean one thing. You know what it means? A miracle has taken place. The angel confirms this when he says that the child she was carrying was from the Holy Spirit. Never before and never again will a virgin conceive and have a baby. There is no doubt that this child that Mary is carrying is a special child. This child is the Son of God. And the, and the angel explains just how special. That special is seen first in his name. He shall call his name Jesus. You know, there's significance in a name, at least from a biblical perspective. The Bible Knowledge Commentary explains the name, his name, this way. Jesus is a form of the Hebrew Joshua, Yeshua, or Yahashua. The basic meaning of which is Jehovah, Yahweh, will save. All other men who had those names, we know of a couple in the Old Testament, right? Joshua, the... Excuse me, Joshua, the son of Nun. <coughs> Excuse me, Joshua, the son of Nun, who was the one who led Israel into the Promised Land. Excuse me, that Joshua had the name Yeshua will save. There's others. All other men who had those names testified by their names to the Lord's salvation, but this one who would be born to Mary not only would testify of God's salvation, but would himself be that salvation. By his own work, Jesus would save his people from their sins. No other Joshua could do that. No other Jesus could do that. Only Jesus, the son of Mary. This one called Jesus, born of Mary, is the king whose birthday would not just be celebrated during his earthly life, but would be celebrated for thousands of years after his birth. In fact, it is still celebrated today. Almost 2,030 years later, we are celebrating Christmas. No other person has ever been celebrated in such a way. You think about that just for a moment. You tell me, if you can, another person who the one day is set aside and we continue to celebrate it 2,000 years later. Is there one? I can't think of another one. My birthday is February 12th, 
A very important man was born on that day. A guy by the name of Abraham Lincoln. We celebrate his birthday, but it's only been a couple hundred years, if that many. We don't, and we don't make a big deal. In fact, it's, it's so not important that we just group them together with a bunch of other presidents and we call it President's Weekend. Jesus' birth is still being celebrated today and it will continue to be celebrated until we hear that trumpet sound and God says, Jesus, today's your wedding day. Go get your bride. We will celebrate the birth of Jesus. Humanity, mankind will celebrate the birth of Jesus until that day. There's no one like him. There's no other Jesus. Now, some have questioned the date that we celebrate the birthday of a king. I think just this week I read something on Facebook. Is it really December 25th? Can I suggest to you that the date doesn't really matter? What matters is that we do, in fact, celebrate his birth. People used to say to me, Pastor, why do we celebrate Christmas? It's not even the right time of year. There's debate about that. I used to believe that shepherds didn't keep their watch in, their, in the fields by night during this time of year. But you know what? We're not that far from Passover. And guess what? In Bethlehem, there were shepherds in December keeping watch over their flock to get ready for Passover. Learned that this week. Hmm. Okay. Shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock. Was it December 20? I don't know. Does it matter? No. You say, well, isn't it important that we remember the, the, the proper date? Let me read something to you from gotquestions.org. The truth is, we simply don't know the exact date of our Savior's birth. In fact, we don't even know for sure the year in which he was born. Scholars believe it was somewhere between 6 B.C. and 4 B.C., one thing is clear. If God felt it was important for us to know the exact date of the Savior's birth, he certainly would have told us that in his word. The Gospel of Luke gives us very specific details about the event, even down to what the baby was wearing. How many of you had a special outfit to bring your child home from the hospital? Yeah, most of us, it's probably grandma or gra grandma, more than grandpa, buys the special outfit and says, oh, you got to bring the baby home in this. And it's this very nice, fancy, whatever thing that, that they think is the perfect outfit for their grandchild, especially if it's the first one, to come home from the hospital in. The Gospel of Luke gives specific details about the event, even down to what the baby was wearing. Swaddling clothes. Nothing special, but he was wearing swaddling clothes. And where he slept, in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. These details are important. God includes them in the birth account of Jesus. They're important because they speak of his nature and his character. He's meek and lowly. But the exact date of his birth has no significance whatsoever which may be why God didn't even tell us. Not important for us to know. That's another thing that sometimes throughout church history where Christians are famous for, majoring on the minors. I remember in Bible college, we used to have conversations. 
How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Who cares? Nobody cares. What, what significance, what relevance does that have to life? No matter how big a theology nerd you are, right, Ben? How many angels can fit on the head of a pin doesn't matter. We talk about all kinds of other things that don't matter. Let's not focus on those things. Let's focus on what God says in his word. God told us that Jesus was born in a manger. He was born of a, of a virgin. Those things are important. God tells us what we need to know in the pages of his word. Here's the significance. Paul puts it very succinctly in his letter to young pastor Timothy when he wrote this. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Here it is, that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why December 25th is so important. Because Jesus came to be born as a, as a baby in a manger so that he could go to the cross. And so that he could die on the cross and he could take my sins and your sins and the sins of the world upon himself and satisfy the wrath of God in our place. That's the significance of Christmas. That's the blessing of Christmas. Well, we need to keep moving. I told somebody I was hoping to be done early this, early this morning, but you know how that goes. Um, we see here in verses 22 and 23, God's bona fide prophecy. We have the blessing and we have the fact that um, the backstory is all about us and about the, the birth of a Savior. But, but it's all important, and this bona fide prophecy bears it all out. Here's what's so amazing about the birthday of a king. It didn't just happen by chance. It happened as part of God's plan and was prophesied thousands of years before Mary conceived, before Mary was even born, before in the minds of her mom and dad Mary was even thought about. God had it planned in eternity past that his son would be born of a lady named Mary who was holy and righteous and set apart. She wasn't, she wasn't can I tell you this? There's nothing special about Mary. She's not, a, she's not perfect. She sinned just like the rest of us but she had a right relationship with God. That, her belief in the coming of the Messiah and the fact that God would do what he said he would do made her a righteous person. She was not sinless. She was just honoring the Lord. When we read our text this morning, in verse 22 we saw these words. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, remember reading that? That's said a couple of times throughout the pages of Scripture. This was done so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. This happened because the prophet so-and-so said this. We read that often in Scripture. The sovereign God of the universe arranged all things so that the words of his prophet would come to pass just as it was written. We read that Matthew was referring to, what was, what was it that he was referring to when he said that it might be fulfilled which the prophet spoke? He was talking about the words 
of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. I like what the MacArthur Study Bible says about this. It says, Matthew points out fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies no less than a dozen times. Remember who Matthew's writing to, right? You say he's writing to, to us. Well, yeah, he's writing to us. But he had a specific audience that he wrote his gospel to. You know who he wrote to? He wrote to the Jews. What were the Jews looking for? A Messiah. So the things that Matthew writes point out the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was their king. He talks about the birthday of this king, and he talks about the prophecies that this king would fulfill no less than a dozen times in 28 chapters. He talks about it in chapter 2, verse 15, verse 17, and verse 23. He talks about it in chapter 4, verse 14, and chapter 8, verse 17, and chapter 12, verse 17, and chapter 13, verse 14, verses 35, and then in chapter 21, verse 4, chapter 26, verses 54 through 56, chapter 27, verses 9 and 35. That's a lot of times that he talks about the Messiah. Okay? He quotes from the Old Testament more than 60 times, Matthew does. Because he's writing to the Jewish people, talking about their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Those 60 times that he quotes from the Old Testament is more frequently than any other New Testament writer, except for Paul. And remember, Matthew only wrote one book. Paul wrote a whole bunch of them, half, more than half the New Testament. So Matthew thought it was very important to talk about the Old Testament, that it might be fulfilled. Why is that so important? Because if it's not fulfilled, guess what? God isn't God. Jesus isn't Jesus, and all of the things that we do because of that don't matter at all. But God is God. Jesus is Jesus. And those things were done so it might be fulfilled what God said 100, 200, 1,000, 3,000 years ago. God says something, God does it. God keeps his word. A couple Sunday nights ago, we looked at Isaiah 53 and how many prophecies were made in that chapter and then fulfilled by Jesus. I gave people an assignment that were coming back that night. Look and see how many prophecies were fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 53. Somebody came back and said six. I won't tell you who it was. You know how many there are? Just in Isaiah 53? More than 30. I mean, I shared this quote as we talked about prophecy. By one count, this might, this might floor you, okay? By one count, about 27% of the Bible is predictive or prophesaical. That's from Payne in the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. This means that when it was written, over one-fourth of the Bible, more than one in every four verses, was prophetic. Professor and theologian J. Barton Payne lists 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. The consistent relation of prophecy in the Bible is staggering. And on top of that is the amazing accuracy of those detailed prophecies. Some of those prophecies are so detailed that critics 
will look at that and say, nah, there's no way that that was written beforehand. It had to be written after, and somebody took it and stuck it back there and said it was prophecy. That's how accurate God's prophecy is. God's prophecy is 100% accurate. 100%. If God said it was going to happen, it's going to happen. Every time a prophecy was made, it's either been fulfilled or God is setting the stage to fulfill it. And I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit trail, but can I tell you that's why covenant theology is so off base? A literal interpretation of the Bible means that God will do what God said he will do. He will establish his nation Israel. His son Jesus will rule from that throne of David for a thousand years. Can I tell you this? That ain't happening in your heart. It's happening on this earth, in this world, in the city of Jerusalem, from the throne of David. King Jesus will reign. He hasn't yet, but it's coming. He's going to do it. Why? Because God is God. And everything he said that would happen is going to happen just the way he said it would. How do we know that this book is God's book? One of the ways we know is because of all of the prophecies that have been made and have been fulfilled. There is no other book. People talk about Nostradamus. He got no track record compared to the Bible. The Bible is God's word. He spoke it into existence. He said, this is what you need to know. And he gave us the book and he's preserved it down through the ages for us to know and live by. The birthday of a king. As our title reflects, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Just what does that gift give? What, What does the birthday of a king give to us? Well, can I tell you this? It gives hope. For the Griffin family, for the Cruston family, for the Hartwick family, it gives hope. When everything else is hopeless, oh God, what are we going to do? We lost. God gives hope. Came in the form of Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger. It gives us hope. Hope is found in the promises that God has given to you and I. Promises of freedom from sin. We can find so much hope in Scripture through the gift of eternal life that was made possible through the birthday of a king whose name was Jesus. This hope is not a wishful thought, but it's a confident, expectant, joyful knowledge that we will be changed by God And we'll one day see Jesus face to face, having been conformed to his image. This change is ongoing in your life and in my life. Those of us who know Jesus as their Savior, this change keeps going on and on and on and on. It's seen in the promises of our resurrection and our heavenly home. Jesus said it himself, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Man, that's hope! 
Those who know Jesus, like Jonathan Hartwig and like Brenda, who have gone on to glory. We have the hope of seeing them again. Any one of our loved ones, any one of our friends, co-workers, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're there and we're going to meet them. There, my friends, is hope. Every time I preach a message at a funeral of somebody who's a born-again child of God, I, I have hope that I can stand here and tell their family that that person who has gone on is not just in some state of limbo. They're in the presence of God, and someday we'll see them again if you know Jesus as your Savior. That's the hope of Christmas. That's what happened because there was a birthday of a king in Bethlehem who was born of a virgin whose name was Jesus. Some pretty impressive gifts, huh? I've spent some time this year buying gifts that I think will be good gifts. Anybody buy any bad gifts? Of course not. You spend time thinking about what you want to give to your loved ones or your co-workers or whoever, and you go out and you buy it. And you might think to yourself, man, I bought some pretty impressive gifts this year. I've got some good things I'm giving away. Man, you're going to be lucky if you're on my Christmas list. Can I tell you what? All of the gifts that I've bought this year pale in comparison to the gifts that God has given us. They don't even, they, they don't even measure. In, in a small way, there's no way that they measure up to what God has given to us. All of the gifts that we're going to give away have a shelf life. It's going to expire. <laughs> Micah called last night. You can tell there's a little something in his voice. My tree fell over. I said, welcome to the club. It's happened to us about ten times so far since we've been married. Yeah, but my pineapple ornament broke. We, we, we took him shopping when we were out in Colorado, and he, and he found this pineapple ornament. He also had the youngest sibling ornament. That also broke. And then, so, so he's like, they, they broke. My two favorite ornaments broke. Shelf life. Everything has a shelf life. No matter how impressive you think that gift is, it's only temporary. But God's gift is eternal. It goes on and on and on for all of eternity. Not, just for, not even just for here and now on this earth, as long as we live. I mean, we give things away. We're going through stuff at my mom's house. We're going, Paul had told me he's going through stuff at my mom's house. Oh, man, there's so much stuff. It's all going to pass away. None of it's going with us to glory, except for the gifts that Jesus has given us. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The birthday of a king. What a great celebration it is to think about Jesus this holiday season. Let's take the opportunities that God gives to us to speak about Christ and to our families, to our friends, even to strangers. Let them know about this birthday of Jesus, the one who can give everlasting life. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we want to just pour out our hearts of gratitude to you. 
You are a great God. You are a gracious God. You are a giving God. Father, as you have given to us the greatest gift that anyone could ever give, the gift of your son wrapped in swaddling clothes, and then when he hung on a cross, still wrapped in somewhat of swaddling clothes, as he hung there, beaten and bruised and bloodied, to take my sin and the sins of mankind upon himself, to satisfy your requirements, but even more than that, to satisfy your wrath in our place. Thank you, Father, for such an amazing gift. Thank you for the birthday of a king. We pray in his name, Jesus. Amen.